You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. What a privilege to be here. And what a building we're in this time. You're. I was here three years ago, and I think that building sort of fitted in that space about over here. It's a great partnership that we have, our church and yours. As Leo says, we've known each other for like 25 years. My dad's been out here once with me. My son's been out here once with me. My wife has been here a couple of times. And, and my daughter Katie came out without me, but some of you know her. And uh, uh, your, the, the Cotra family has been out in, in South Africa a number of times. So as Leo said, I'm in Cape Town. If any of you come to South Africa, you want to go to Cape Town, it's a great place to go. And uh, you're welcome anytime, all right? So just get my phone number from one of the Nakotras and we'll hook you up in Cape Town. Uh, what a joy, hey, to do church and to do life uh, together like this. My testimony, my salvation testimony, it goes back more than 40 years. I was 10 years old when I got saved. So I don't have one of these testimonies that concern, you know, drug, sex, rock and roll. My story is when I was 10 years old, my dad came into my bedroom. Uh, he was extremely emotional, and he's not a very emotional man. He had just given his heart to the Lord. So he sat in the bed and he said, boys, I had two younger brothers. One was nine at the time, and the other one was eight. And he said to us, he said, Dad has just given his heart to Jesus, and so should you. <laughs> so we said, yes, sir. And he told us to get on our knees, and we surrendered our lives to Christ then. I don't know when it became a personal faith for me, but I'll, I'll tell you this. At 12 years old, I was baptized in water. At 13 years old, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. And my story is that God has held me since I was 10 years old. And uh, it, it might not be as dramatic as some of your stories, but there are a lot of young people in this building today. And I, I believe God is saying to you, he's got you and he's never letting you go. My Brother who's one year younger than me leads a church in Manchester. My other brother who's two years younger than me leads a church just outside London. God grabbed us when we were eight, nine, and ten, and has never let us go. There is a, uh, I've got a word from the Lord for you today, and, uh, but before that, there's uh, a couple of things. I woke up early this morning, five o'clock. With this phrase, uh, this church has a generational legacy that will multiply its effectiveness. That's the phrase I got this way, a generational legacy that will multiply its effectiveness. I said, well, what does that mean? Well, I know the Nakotras have lots of kids. The generations, five kids. And it's amazing. Remember, five loaves were put into the hands of Jesus. What did he do with them? He multiplied them. He told a parable about uh, a man who was, you know, with one, you know, bag of gold or talent, another with two, and another with five. And then he says, and the man with five, 
immediately put it to work, and he got five more. There's a thing. David picked up five stones, and what was the point of those stones? To let them loose. There's a generational legacy in this church that God is going to use to multiply it. Uh, Leo, I, I saw a picture of you with a sledgehammer against a brick wall. Not, I know you build a lot with wood in this country, but a, a brick wall. And you know, you can smash that brick wall and smash that brick wall and smash that brick wall, but hairline cracks begin to develop. And eventually, it looks just like another swing of the hammer. It looks like just another going through the motions. It looks like it's just another day in the kingdom. And all of a sudden, bam, comes down that wall. I feel God saying that to you, my friend, that there is a faithfulness about you as you've been sledging away. And the wall's about to come down. The wall's about to come down. feel a little uh, awkward doing this because I know picking out one family when there's hundreds of people in a room is, is a little uh, awkward, but uh, they're a prophetic picture. I'd like to speak over the, this, these Nakotra siblings. Uh, Leon and Vanessa, there is a, a call in your life to bring heaven to earth. And I believe it's going to be multiplied in people around you, people that are sitting in this room, people that are still not yet saved that are sitting in this room. And as the anointing flows through you in song and in preaching, there's like a prophetic anointing on you. It's going to reach into the nations. Josiah and uh, Sophia, I see leaders sitting around you. And you, you're speaking with wisdom over their lives. In fact, I see church planters around you, people who've got a heart to go and plant and to develop. And, and as you allow God to use you, this, this generational legacy, it's in your mom and dad. It's in the other leaders that are in this church. But I, I believe there's a prophetic thing God's saying over you as it's released through you. Ezekiel, I, I see a picture of John. John, the disciple that uh, Jesus loved. John, the disciple that Jesus said, uh, look after my mom. Uh, there is a pastoral heart in you that as, uh, as you allow the Holy Spirit to work through you, uh, th there is going to be a multiplied shepherding of God's people because when the harvest comes in, that's what's needed, people to love them and to hold them and to look after them. Ethan and, and, and Leisha, I've just met you today. So the, the ability to make plain God's word is something that he's going to give you. And uh, I, I'm, I've never seen you with a microphone, but I, I believe and I can see in the spirit beyond you are people that love the word of God, who cherish the word of God. This generational legacy Little Eve, the daughter, I see you praying people into the kingdom. I, I see a generation of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve-year-olds uh, running to Jesus, and as they grow.
There's a generational legacy over this house. I believe this building is going to be like a combine harvester. I don't know if you, I don't know if you know what uh, those are. Do you have them in this country? Uh, I know you've got lots of sheep and lots of cows and lots of sand, a lot of sand. But when you plant a combine harvest as a massive machine that harvests, it brings in a harvest. God has a habit of using buildings. Do you know that? Uh, often people think, no, man, it's all about the people. It's all about the glory of God. Yes, it is. But he has this habit of using buildings. Uh, you go way back into the Old Testament. He, he used a tent that was dragged around the desert again and again and again. They pitched this tent. You know what God used in that tent? He multiplied a priesthood through that tent. Guys had a job just to carry the poles. Other guys had a job to look after the articles that were inside. They used to pitch this thing, take this thing down, pitch this thing. Uh, explaining and presenting us a picture which was to come that thousands, in fact, hundreds of millions of people were going to be priests before God. God used that funny little tent. He used the building of a wall and the building of Jerusalem through Nehemiah to change people. Now, God could have just snapped his fingers and changed the people, but you, you remember in the early book of Nehemiah, Hanani, Nehemiah's brother, comes to, um, to visit him. And Nehemiah asks him two questions. He says, tell me about Jerusalem and tell me about God's people. Those two questions. And Hanani says, well, Jerusalem's in ruin and the people, well, they're even worse. And Nehemiah begins to weep. And he gets in his heart and God paves the way for him to go back. And he begins to build the walls and to be reestablishing Jerusalem. And as he does so, this remnant, the scattered people that were, were so despondent, they didn't even have the toilets working. The dung gate wasn't working, which means I suppose, you know, there was a stench throughout the whole of Jerusalem. They were in a real mess. And God used the building of the walls to construct a people. God uses buildings. He's in the habit of using buildings. He, he used Solomon's temple to fill it with his glory and to give people a picture and an encounter with him. God has a habit of using buildings. He blew through buildings. He shook buildings. God's going to use this building. It's going to be like a, a combine harvester. As I got out the building and started to, got out the car and began to walk toward the building, uh, somebody said to me, look at these Wedding things down below here, bridal shops, etc. Saw this dance floor. I think people are going to be surprised. They think they're going to be meeting their partners. They're going to be meeting Jesus. People are going to be celebrating the love of each other. They're going to be celebrating the love of God. We're going to see the bride of Christ build up here, not only bride upon bride. I think God's going to use these things. He's going to use your children's ministry. He's going to use... He's going to use this building. I nearly switched my message this morning and began to preach on how uh, God wants to use this building, but I prepared a little message on treasure. God woke Leah up this morning, as he said a few minutes ago. Let me see if I can quote what he said. I don't want to butcher your words. Uh, I wrote it down while you said it. Well, now, 
let your money, you say, let your money wage war for you. It's an amazing word, eh? Let your money wage war with you. When you, when you visit a church and you haven't been for three years, there's, there's one thing you want. There's only one thing as a preacher. You want to hear just a whisper from heaven, Lord, is there one line you want to say? God, because I, I could come and bring, you know how many sermons I've preached since I was lost with you? I could get my best one, line it up and hang it out there. But actually, you don't want to do that. You want to rather hear one word from heaven. I woke up this morning and I had absolutely nothing to share with you and said, Lord, give me one word. And I felt he dropped this word into my heart, treasure, treasure. God wakes up Leo and he says, let your money, let your treasure wage war for you. So I'm going to speak a little bit about treasure. It's not going to be the best crafted sermon you've ever heard. But I trust there's a whisper from heaven. I trust there's a whisper from heaven. And so in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've heard that text mispreached in years gone by. What Jesus is saying is where you invest, your heart follows. Where you put your treasure, where you, where you invest your money, your time, your effort, your longings of your heart, where you, in, where you invest it, your heart follows. If you're a businessman and you buy stocks, maybe you're into cryptocurrency or something, and... Uh, you buy the stocks, you invest a whole lot of money in there. What's the first thing you do in the morning? You get up and you want to check what's happened. What have the Americans been doing? Or worse, what's Putin been doing? What the Russians been up to? What's happening to my stocks? Why? Where your treasure is, your heart follows. Your heart follows where your heart, where you've put your investment. I was talking to a young man the other day who had broken up with his girlfriend. He wanted to chat to me. He was obviously rather traumatized. And I said to him, why have you done this, my friend? So he says, I just wasn't feeling it. I said, what do you mean you weren't feeling it? She said, I just wasn't feeling the love. And, and so I, I, just, I, just, I just, I'm not being faithful to her. I'm not being true to myself. And so I just backed out. I said, how many times have you done this? He says, a lot of times. This guy's now well into his 30s. And he keeps pulling out because he's not feeling it. And so I said to him, tell me something, my friend. What do you think comes first, romance or commitment? He says, well, that's, that's quite a good question. I, I, I would have thought romance indicates to me this is where I must put my commitment. So I said, my friend, if that was the case in my marriage, so in other words, romance came before my commitment? I'd be getting divorced like three or four times a day. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. What you commit to, your heart follows. You can't. Where your treasure is, your heart goes. And so the question is, where is your treasure going? Because that's where your heart goes. You know, God's given us this ability to put our hearts in many directions. And, and you can give a little bit of your heart to this, a little bit of your heart to that, but where primarily, where's the obsession? 
Where's the obsession of your heart? Because what you obsess over grabs, grabs you and changes you. You become what you're committed to. What you, what you invest in, your heart goes toward, and what your heart goes toward changes you. Commitment creates your identity. Because I'm committed to my wife, I see myself as a husband. Because I'm committed to my children, I see myself as a father. Commitment, where you put your heart, where you put your investment, your heart goes and your identity goes. Where your treasure is, your heart goes also. There is a scripture in Psalm 37, another badly exegeted text. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. You know, I've heard many guys butcher that text, and they preach it something like this. You want that Lamborghini? You want that beautiful wife? Get your priorities straight, boy. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he's going to give you all that stuff. That isn't what that verse says. It says, delight yourself in the Lord... And he will give you desires in your heart. That's what it says. He will shape your desire. He will shape who you are. What you commit to, what you delight in, what you invest in, takes your heart and takes your, takes your breath away. And so I feel that as I woke up this morning, God was saying to you and to me, Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? Leo says, let your treasure wage war for you. Let your treasure wage war for you. And I'll tell you what, your treasure can also pull your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart goes also. The second text I'd like to wrestle with this morning will show us then the most valuable treasure of all is in heaven. And there is a link between our heavenly treasure and our earthly heart and our earthly treasure. There was uh, this occasion that a rich young ruler came to Jesus. Uh, you can read about him in Mark chapter 10. Why don't you turn there in your Bibles? Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Now, uh, there was the perception in Bible times that if you were wealthy... And if things were going well with you, and if you had influence, political influence, it was a sign of God's blessing. In fact, in some circles today, that's still held to be true. Remember in the book of Job, Job's friends came around him and said, listen, you know, you've lost your money, and you've lost your influence. And so this man had influence, he had wealth. And so the people around him would have said he's blessed by God and he thought that he was blessed by God. He comes to Jesus and he has this encounter with Jesus. In fact, he doesn't just come to Jesus, he, he kneels down before Jesus. I mean, this looks like a radical young guy. It looks like everything's going his way and fell on his knees before him. That's a good guy, don't you agree? Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life. 
Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud or honor your father and your mother. Teacher, he declared. All these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, just up front, this is not proving that Jesus was anti-wealth. This is not God's crusade against money. Deuteronomy 8.18 says that he gives us the ability to create wealth. He doesn't go to every rich guy. In fact, this is the only rich guy he does this to. Jesus loved him and said, I want to tell you about treasure in heaven. He's basically saying the most valuable treasure you can have, young man, is treasure in heaven. Uh, remember in, in Matthew 18, 52, Jesus said, the kingdom is like thieves, treasures old and treasures new. Amazing, hey? He says the kingdom. The kingdom is... The old treasure that, that you've seen before, that you've used before, that is, that's amazing. But there's always new. That's the thing about eternal treasure. You'll never plummet the depths of it. I, I loved the passion of these uh, folk that were up here a few minutes ago. It, it's like, uh, in fact, you guys could sell anything. But I could see the passion was, was you come and explore Jesus. You'll find him on Sunday, but on Tuesday you're going to see him. And the depths of the wonders of the Spirit, this, this treasure. So he's saying to this rich young guy, uh, you, you think you've seen it? You see some old treasures you've seen? But it's new every morning. It's new every morning. Now what Jesus does to this, this, this poor guy is then he comes to him. And he says to him, he falls on his knees before Jesus, and he says to Jesus, I'm just looking. You know, I've, I've got all this stuff. I, everyone would say my life's all together. I've got everything together, but, but eternal life, I just want to be sure about that. So why does Jesus go to him and say, go through the commandments and say, follow the commandments? Why? Because he was showing this guy that just obeying the rules was not enough. Jesus refused just to be an add-on on his to-do list. He refused just to be another hoop that he was going to jump through. And so he takes him to the law and he shows him, because the guy was boasting that he had kept all of them since he was a boy, showed him that the very first commandment he had broken, have no other gods before me. That's the very first commandment, wasn't it? And so he takes this, okay, he spared him, fortunately, the proof that he had broken all ten, but he goes straight to the first one. And he says of the first commandment, he said, no other God. He says, okay, now listen, I want to show you something. Just take your treasure 
Take the worldly treasure that you've got. Give it away and come and follow me. And the guy could see right then and there that that's where his heart was. That's where his God was. That's where his loyalty was. And Jesus was saying to him, you got to let that go, my boy. The next thing on your to-do list. Mark Twain, remember that famous writer? As far as I know, he wasn't saved. But Mark Twain is famous for having said this. He says, it's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that concern me. It's the parts that I do understand. And he, he had been confronted with this truth that Jesus wants everything of you. He wants to be your treasure. So Jesus looked at him and he loved him. I love that phrase. He looked at him and he loved him and then he drops the clangor and he says, now give away your wealth. He said, no, sure, surely. If Jesus loved me, he would have added to my wealth. If Jesus loved me, he would have blessed me more. No, he loves me. And he says, let it go. Why? He knows that that God that that rich young guy was holding on to was going to kill him. You as a parent know that you would never give a toy to your child that would harm them. I can remember when I was a really little guy, I asked my dad, I always want a motorbike. And I remember my mother saying, that motorbike will kill you, boy. So I, I never got a motorbike until I was much, much older. And uh, it nearly did when I eventually got one. In fact, my, my brother, my second brother, one year younger than me, when he was four years old, we were, my father had decanted paraffin into uh, soda bottles so that he could, you know, feed the various machines and lighting equipment that needed paraffin. And uh, do you know what paraffin is? That, that's a product that you have here. Not. It's some gasoline. It's a type of gasoline. And so uh, one, uh, it's, it's illuminating fuel. Uh, so one morning, my, my brother went out there and he saw this soda bottle. And uh, he drank half of it. Be, because, I mean, that's what four-year-old boys do. Anyway, I remember that he had to go to a hospital. They pumped his stomach out. And the farmers in the area changed my brother's name. He was no longer called Andy or Andrew. They called him Paraffin Pete. <laughs> because, and he was called Paraffin Pete until he was a teenager. Why? Because he, he had drunk paraffin and it nearly killed him. They pumped his stomach and paraffin Pete. is like he, he'd breathe and fire would come out of his mouth. That, that's the picture we get when you see paraffin Pete, but what has that done to me as an adult, as my children were growing up, there's no way any soda bottle was used for anything other than soda. <laughs> Why? Because I knew it was dangerous for kids. I'd keep it away. And so God the Father looks at you. He says, I'm going to keep, he loves this rich young man. And he says, I'm going to keep that God away from you that's going to destroy you. 
because you've invested your heart there and it's captured your heart and and so he does and so those two scriptures describe how your heart goes where your treasure is where your investment is and the the second that eternal treasure treasure in heaven is what God has in store for you. But I'd, I'd like to wrap this up by looking at God's treasure. Because God has a treasure. Matthew 13, 44, it says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy... He went and sold all that he had, and he bought the field. It's an amazing parable. Jesus saying, here's a dude, he's walking along, and he sees something gleaming. I don't know, gold or pearls or something. Maybe he stumbled on it. And I can imagine him just like digging and seeing this thing. It's incredible. Cover it up again. Go buy the whole field so that he can salvage the treasure. Most people, when they interpret that verse, they say, well, the kingdom is like treasure, and, you know, when you find it, you give everything to get it. I suppose that's one way to look at it, but there's a problem with that interpretation. Well, firstly, you didn't go looking for the kingdom. The kingdom came after you. In fact, the Bible says that you were blinded to the kingdom. You were oblivious to it. The second problem with that interpretation is that it's too big for you to hide. You can't hide the kingdom, and you certainly can't buy it. And if it could be bought, you haven't got enough to buy it. So I'm not so sure that that's the interpretation. I think it's, more likely to be this. Jesus often, when he told a parable, he was often the man. And so if, it, if Jesus is the man in this parable and the field is the earth, Jesus comes to earth, son of man, walks on earth, and he stumbles across a treasure. And what do we know Jesus redeemed? What do we know Jesus bought? What do we know Jesus spent his incalculable price? What did he pay pay for he he it's people isn't it it's people we and we know in Deuteronomy it says that we are his treasured possession so so Jesus has a treasure his treasure is people this parable is not about you buying the kingdom it's not about you finding the kingdom it's about Jesus finding you it's not about you paying a price. It's about Jesus paying the price for you. It's not, it's not about you finding your way into the kingdom. It's about Jesus bringing you into your, his kingdom. He looks at you and he says of you, you're my treasured possession. Some of you say, yeah, I've not heard it said that, but you know, the guy next to me, he, he's the real treasure. I'm just sort of tagging along. I'm the copper coin that was left at the bottom end of the treasure box, maybe. It's not really me. Well, you've, you've heard it said that, 
the value of something is what people are willing to pay for it, haven't you? In fact, uh, not too sure how big cricket is here in, in Sydney, but in South Africa, we had this all-rounder, which means he could bat a little bit and he could bowl a little bit, but he hadn't made the national side. But there is a cricket league in India called the IPL. And one of the owners of an IPL franchise saw this man. His name was Chris Morris. He's actually a born-again believer, filled with the Holy Spirit. And decided that he wanted that guy in his IPL team. Now, remember, he hadn't made it big in South Africa. But this IPL owner buys him for a million dollars. This was about 10 years ago. First time it had ever happened to a South African. And so in our country, he was called the million-dollar man. Chris Morris. He, he was not in the national team. He was a born-again believer, red-headed fellow, gangly. And these Indians loved him. And they took him across and they called him the million-dollar man. He had the headline news. Our national selectors were saying, who, what, why, why have they taken that guy? When he arrived in India, guess what? He played like a million-dollar man. Why? Because someone had said, you're worth something. Next minute, he was smacking balls all over the place. He was taking wickets. And our selectors decided, we want the million-dollar man. And so he became, I don't know, they totally overlooked him. It took some dude in India to look through all the rubbish cricketers all over the world and say, there's my treasure. And he put a price tag on him, and it changed that man. God looks at you through all the rubbish. And he picks you up and he says, you're my treasured possession. You're his treasure. You know, the amazing thing is, is that as we invest in the kingdom, and as we give our heart to him, his, his treasure becomes our treasure. This building is going to be used for the glory of God. And I tell you what, his treasured possession is going to come pouring in here. You're among that. And uh, I wonder if the band could come forward. I'm going to um, tell you a story and then end with one uh, scripture. We're just trying to open up this one scripture. I feel God's knocking on your heart today. If you're a believer in Jesus and you've been following him passionately, he's saying, I want everything. I want your dreams, I want your hopes, I want your longings, I want your commitment, I want your finances. And I will use all that stuff to build my kingdom, to bring in my treasure, and I will exchange it. I'll give you my heart, I will give you my treasure. You'll taste your heavenly treasure here on earth. That's what he's saying. We've just had a men's camp. We pitched a 2,000-seater tent on a big potato farm in the Midlands of South Africa. And we had men from all over our different campuses coming together. There was a prison warder sitting there. There was a policeman and there was a magistrate. Little did they know who I was going to interview. I interviewed a man by the name of Kemsley. Kemsley, 17 years before, had killed his friend in a fight with a 
with a, a knife and he was convicted of murder and he was sent to prison maximum security prison try to kill somebody in prison so he was put in solitary confinement he was in the depths of the depths of the depths of a prison cell and Jesus stumbles through the rubbish and he sees this treasure Kemsley's grandmother had told him the gospel when he was a little boy that's all that was needed it's all that was needed the seed of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and Kemsley in solitary confinement meets Jesus gets radically saved comes out of solitary confinement and becomes a preacher in the prison a murderer becomes a preacher you've seen another one of those in the Bible haven't you and after 15 years somehow they released him from his 35 years whatever he had been given he's now a leader in one of our campuses and these prison wardens <laughs> had been invited to the men's camp and here comes the murderer onto the stage you could have slapped them to the floor these guys we saw this reunion at the back of the tent absolutely phenomenal prison warder policeman magistrate all who were involved in his arrest and the murderer who's now testifying about the gospel dust muck mud the worst of the worst God's treasure so it says in Ephesians chapter 2 you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he prepared in advance that you might walk in them let's break that up a bit you are God's workmanship you know what that word workmanship is in the Greek poema which means masterpiece you are God's masterpiece you know an artist when they paint uh, and, and beauty is in the eye of the beholder isn't it I've been to the Louvre which is a art gallery in Paris some of you might have been there uh, in the Louvre hangs the Mona Lisa I, I was with my two daughters and I said okay we've got one job when we go into the Louvre we've got to find the Mona Lisa you go through all these amazing masterpieces and there she is Mona Lisa hanging up there with the biggest crowd standing looking at her Paul says to the Ephesians you, you are a masterpiece in fact the Bible says that every single human being is a masterpiece you are God's poem you've been created in his image so that that jihadist who's about to murder people is God's masterpiece. That Satanist who's cursing you is a masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. But to the Christian, he says this, you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. Not only have you been fearfully and wonderfully made? Not only has God knit you together in your mother's womb, but you've also been created in Christ Jesus when you're born again. Now, this is the thing. 
he didn't take the Christian and say, okay, now let's, let's gloss over my masterpiece and basically make it more shiny. Let's let it hang there now in the light. You haven't been created as a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to hang there in the light gallery. You're God's masterpiece. And before you're born of God, you're in darkness. But as you're born of Jesus, you're His masterpiece now created in Christ Jesus. Now you're in the light for the world to see the reflection of God. But you're not designed to hang there. No, you must be created in Christ Jesus for good works that He's created in advance for you to walk in. Let's stand together, please. You're His treasure that He finds, that He reflects His light through, and He says, I'm going to use you. Young guys and old, as God multiplies what He wants to do in this place, His plan is that it's not just done with a couple of people that have a microphone, but that every single one of you, as His masterpiece, as His treasure, as you devote yourself to Him, He says, I'm going to use you. Your heart is going to get my heart. My treasure will be your treasure. I want your dreams, He says. I want your hopes. I want your resources. I want everything of you. And as you commit to me, your heart will follow. My treasure will be your treasure. And we'll transform this world. Let's pray. Before I pray for the whole church, if there's anybody that's coming here today, And as I've been speaking, you know that your heart, like that rich young ruler, is obsessed with other things. We don't know what happened to that rich young ruler. We don't know what happened. We know that he encountered Jesus that day and the challenge was put out to him. Give me your heart. He walked away initially saying, no, I'm not going to give you my heart. I'm going to hold on to this thing. We don't know what eventually happened to him. If you're here today, you've heard God saying to you, give me your heart. Give me everything. Surrender to me. You've got a decision to make. You can either walk out of here and say, God, no. I'll check in with you every now and again, but I'm holding my heart myself. You're still loved by God. But if that's your decision, you'll be like living in darkness. You'll have moments when you see the light of God, but you'll be living in darkness. And he says he wants everything of you. Is anyone like that today who's coming here? Maybe you've been to church for a little while and you've just said, Lord God, now I, I understand. I need to give my life to you. I need to surrender to you. Give my heart to you. 
you're ready to make that call today of surrender, just while everyone's praying, just raise your hand toward heaven. That's a sign of surrender. Saying, God, here I am. I surrender to you. Well done. If there's anybody else, just put your hand up toward heaven and say, God, I surrender to you. My heart in your hands. And once you've done that, pray this prayer with me. I'm going to lead it. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of surrender. Lord Jesus, I surrender to you. My whole life in your hands. My dreams, my future, my sin, everything of me is yours. I ask you to transform me. Bring me into your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Father, for every person who's prayed that prayer for the first time today, I pray that you would transform, complete the work you've begun. And as we worship you now, Lord Jesus, I pray for every single person in this room. I prophesy over this church enlargement and increase and multiplication. And I pray, Lord, that your treasure would be our treasure, that your treasured possession, the nations of the earth, will come flooding into this room, Lord God young and old. I pray for multiplication through the young people and the old. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com, or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.